All right, well, good morning. My name is Megan Dennis. I'm one of the directors here, and it's a, both a privilege and an honor to get to stand before you this morning. Even though we're not in the park and it bums me to not be outside, I do always love coming back inside because it just feels we're like that closer knit family. You get to see people that you miss in the park. And so park has its ups and downs at times, but I'm glad that we get to worship together today anyway. Um, we have been in the middle of a sermon series this summer called You've Already Got It. And what we've been trying to unpack and look at is things that God has already blessed us with because we are in him. Because you have accepted Jesus, you are already freely given things that sometimes we feel like we have to work really, really hard to keep or to display or to have. Uh, but we're here to remind you this summer that you don't have to fight for those things, that they are already yours. And so we can just live in that grace and live in that peace and live in Jesus Last week, Derek, first time dad, yes, he reminded us uh, of joy, that we've been given joy, and that joy is life-giving and it allows us to flourish. He told us uh, that joy is this lasting emotion that comes from the choice to trust that God will do what he says he will do, and that this can only happen through our hope in Jesus. So if you feel like your joy tank is a little lacking, um, maybe you're feeling a little more depressed or a little more anxious, maybe it's just this week, maybe it's been for a while, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those first two messages and just remind yourself over and over again, you don't have to keep fighting for those things. They've already been given to you. Just step into that freedom. And all of our previous sermons can be found on the Zion uh, website and on our YouTube channel. Uh, I'm gonna invite my friend Danielle up. She's going to read our scripture verses to you this morning. This is Danielle Barkema. Look at those pants. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm old school. Oh, is this on? Is this on? Yeah. Just co yeah. They'll get it. Okay. Can you hear me? No. Yeah, go up. Is it up? Yeah. Yep. Do you want to use my mic? Yes, I'm Danielle Barkema. I have been attending Zion uh, since I moved a little over a year ago. I'm old school as well, and I, I brought the Bible to read from, from the living Word of God here, so you guys can follow along with me since they actually don't have this version. So. All right, the first reading for today is Ephesians 1, verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Next reading, Colossians 1, verses 22 through 23. Those of you that have your Bibles can follow along as well. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Last reading, Isaiah 1, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. The word of the Lord. And thanks, Danielle. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to invite you guys to stand with me this morning. We're going to pray over um, this message and just pray for the Spirit to move. So if you'd like to participate in this prayer, I'm going to invite you to pray after me. If you're not quite there yet, that's okay. 
Uh, but let's pray. Gracious God, you have chosen me to be holy and blameless. I am humbled. I'm stunned. For a moment, I'm ashamed. I realize just how much I'm not blameless. Yet then I remember that I stand before you. Not in my own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ. I have been chosen in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. I'm just going to start this message off with a confession. We're just going to get right in there and go for the whammy. Uh, my confession is that I pretend to be perfect, like a lot. I act like I have my life figured out because I want everyone on the outside to look at me and to think, wow, she's got her stuff together. Like, she's an awesome human being. But in reality, on the inside, I don't feel that way at all. I'm not. I am not perfect. I, just this last week, I, I was a hot mess. Uh, my family just got back from Peru, which was an awesome trip, and I'd love to tell you all about it if you'd like later. Um, but I, I refuse to let the last day of this trip ruin what happened at the beginning of the week. So separate the two. They're not even on the same playing field. But the last day was, it, it was difficult, to say the least. Um, we were all in the airport, my family. My whole family went. My husband, Gigi, my seven-year-old, Ellie, my one-year-old tomorrow and myself. And so here we are, all of us. Jason happened to sprain his ankle two days ago at the time. So he was like freshly hobbling on a sprained ankle. He had crutches and then at times he was in a wheelchair. And so he actually ended up being more of a hindrance to me that day. You know, like he was supposed to help me, but that didn't happen at all. And on top of that, he was like really sick. Like both ends sick. And so he was just in fine form, right? No one really wanted to associate with him or claim him. Um, and so as I would move through the airports, people looked at me with the most compassion I have ever felt. They were like waving me to the front of every line. Oh, miss, miss, you can come, just come straight here. And I kid you not, I had four suitcases a husband in a wheelchair, a stroller, and Gigi, who, it was too hard. <laughs> and so I was like, you have got to pull through. And I'd like wheel some suitcases, and then I'd push the stroller and Jason, and I'd wheel suitcases, and then I'd go back and get the one that was straggling, and I'd bring it up closer. And everyone was just like, oh yeah, right this way. And you know this silly, dumb thing? People offered to help me a lot, and a lot of times people would, but there were these moments when people would offer to help that I was like, nah, I got it. <laughs> and I didn't, like why, did, why do we do that? It was like this pride welled up within me that I had to show everyone that I could handle whatever life was throwing at me, that this was no big deal, like I can do it with a smile on my face and, and pretend I'm fine when really I was done. I was done with the day, I was a hot mess. Okay, so we're in the airport, we get on the plane, and I'm tired, and I want to sleep. I'm exhausted, um, but my husband who is sick and my one-year-old that did not want to sleep kept that from happening. He would, like, across two people, like, need to tell me what was happening with him, and I was like, I don't know. No one cares. No one wants to know. 
And, and Ellie was like really interested in the man sitting next to me. I'm like all the way in the, uh, sitting by the window, so there's no leaving. And she was like really enamored with this man and wanted to play, and thankfully he was nice, but it was just one of those moments where it was not restful at all. Um, and so then we get home, and I'm absolutely exhausted. I crashed that night. Uh, but then when I woke up, my husband was still sick. I had a ton of laundry that needed to be done. And then both of the girls got sick. And my back to normal routine came whether I was ready for it to come or not. I get back to work, and I had the most emails I think I've ever had. And it took me literally two days to get through them all. So if I haven't responded to you, like, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm getting there. Um, and, I, and I was asked to preach, and I was like, ooh, like, I don't, maybe this isn't a good week. Uh, but I knew the rest of my team was either very busy or had already stepped up in my absence. And on top of that, I did feel like God was saying, like, no, I want you to do this. And so I'm, here I am trying to be faithful. I do believe he has something to bring today, but that doesn't mean that I handled this past week with grace and perfection, because I didn't. Um, my mother-in-law is here visiting from Texas this week. She got here on Friday. She's been a huge help. But of course, prior to her coming, I felt like I needed to clean the house. I needed to hoe the garden. I had to have the refrigerator stocked with groceries and have it appear like the Dennis family had their stuff together. And in this process of preparing, I was short with my husband and with my kids, and I just wasn't very nice to be around. But I had to put on this front of perfection, right? I had to put on this front, like, our house always looks like this. Come in, welcome. I love my family, they're the best. Uh, but who am I kidding? Like, I'm sure your houses are similar. You pick up and five minutes later, it looks like the toy bin or your kitchen also had traveler sickness, and it's a mess again. And so my point is, I, I really hope that you can relate, that we try to act like we have it together, like our life is perfect, but yet everyone knows it's not. And so another way to think about this is, have you ever taken a photo with someone, like maybe a selfie, and then you show the other person like, oh yeah, do you like it? And they're like, oh, I look terrible, take another photo. And you look at that same photo and you literally see nothing wrong with it, and you're like, that's how you always look. <laughs> The same is true, and I'm trying to remind myself that, no, that's just how I look in photos. I need to get over it, that people see me looking bad all the time. And I have this idea in my head that I can look better, right? In reality, I've seen myself look better. I'll do it again. I can, I can do better than this. And yet the other person is like, no, that's you. Like, why do we pretend to be perfect? None of us are. We get sucked into perfection for really one simple reason, because we believe perfection will protect us. Perfectionism is the belief that if we live perfect, if we look perfect, if we act perfect, then we can minimize or avoid the pain of judgment, shame, and of blame. Our verse for today says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We're going to discover today that we don't have to act holy and blameless because we already are. Turn with me, if you haven't already, to Ephesians chapter 1. It's also on the Zion Clear Lake app if you have it. We're going to pick these verses, this verse apart, which is one of my favorite ways of studying and looking at Scripture. And Paul starts out by saying that he chose us. 
And I don't know about some of you, but often I view my days as good or bad based on how well I performed my Christian walk. So for example, if I start out reading my Bible, maybe I pray, I pray for a friend, I'm kind to everyone, maybe I decide to listen to worship music on the way to work, uh, maybe I see a friend in a grocery store, maybe I go pray for them in person, maybe I just pray for them in my head. Uh, maybe I went to a Bible study, maybe I'm here at church today. All of those things, I, for example, I'd give myself a point, like, way to go. And the more points I have at the end of the day, I lay down at night and I think, wow, God must be really happy with me today. What a good day. And then I do the same for bad days, right? If I don't read my Bible, if I'm not shepherding my kids, if I fight with my husband, if I'm not focused on my work of ministry, if I had a bad attitude, then that night I'm like, God must be pretty disappointed in me today. What a bad day. And I think this thinking has kind of been ingrained into us. It's just like everywhere in our culture because the more I was thinking about it, the more like examples I was coming up with. And so maybe you're also like me in that you have this tote of past belongings, of achievements from like elementary through high school or college. For me, my mom gifted it to me when I moved out and she was like, take your stuff and get out. You no longer live with me, this is now yours. So I have this tote and inside it's pictures from like kindergarten that I colored. And then a little while later, it's like my good report cards and maybe a, a report that I did. A plus, yay Megan. Um, and then my diplomas and, and whatnot. So I have this tote, my letters from sports and the ribbons and medals that I had collected. And here it sits, this tote of awesomeness. But you know what's not in there? None of my like, bad reports. As an adult, none of speeding tickets aren't in there. My overdraft letters from the bank aren't sitting in this pile. You wanna forget about those. Uh, I just had a baby, I'm not posting my weight on the refrigerator. Isn't it funny that we, even with health, like everything is associated to this numerical value or sliding scale based on how good or bad that we are. So with all of my up and down days, where my days seem to move towards the lower end of bad, why would God choose me? When I choose something, I go for the best, and so does Gigi, my seven-year-old. When I present a platter of delicious breadsticks for supper, she has to quickly choose which one she wants and mark it by hers by like licking it or sticking her finger in it, as if to say, like, you don't want this one. I want this one because it looks like the best, and I think it's going to satisfy me the most. So maybe that's what God does. Does he choose us because he thinks we're the best and that we're going to satisfy him the most? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 28, it says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. So apparently not. Apparently God doesn't choose the best things. He chooses the exact opposite of the best. He chooses the foolish, the weak, the lowly, and the despised things. It goes on in verse 30 to say that it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. He chooses the opposite of the best so that Jesus receives the glory because only through him do we have wisdom, righteousness, redemption, and are made holy. God views us like Chip and Joanna Gaines as a fixer-upper. 
He wants to flip us and to create us to not only look better, but to function better as well. He chooses those fixer-uppers in life because the more that he has to work with, the more glory he receives through redemption. And this is God's view of people, not ours. We can't look at someone and say, fixer-upper right there. We have no idea. Only God knows the heart. And reading on in Ephesians, it says he chose us in him, which means that you have been incorporated into Christ. And you can think of this literally like a corporation, if that helps you. A corporation is made up of individuals or a group of people that conduct or have the power to conduct the business. And because we are in Jesus, we have the power to conduct God's business. But if you don't accept Jesus, if you're not incorporated into him, you don't have those same powers. Those blessings aren't promised for you, just those that are in him. And it says that we were chosen in him before the creation of the world. And there are two main ways to view what it means to be chosen. The first idea is this idea or concept of foreknowledge, or the awareness of something before it even happens. And it's this idea that God chose certain people to save because he knew ahead of time who those people were going to be. He chose people who he knew would believe. The second idea is that God chooses people to save simply because it pleases him to do so. He doesn't choose those that are more worthy or because he somehow sees something more praiseworthy in them or because he foresaw that they would believe in the future. God chose me in spite of me. He chose us despite the good or the bad things that we might one day do. And I like this way of thinking because it actually moves me then to a place of gratitude and a place of worship for what Jesus chooses in me. So regardless of which view you believe, God makes all decisions with absolute perfection and omniscience, which means he knows things, all things, everything, and he makes these decisions with justice. So in the end, no matter which one of those theological ideas you believe, it's one of those things that we're still going to see each other in heaven, so we can differ all day long. But if you read on in Ephesians 1, it explains what it means to be chosen and what God was thinking before the creation of the world. So verse 11 through 13 reads, In him we are chosen and have been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. We were chosen before creation to reflect Jesus, which brings God glory. So do you know what this means for those of us that weigh our good and bad days based on a point system or, or a performance? When we tally up our points at the end of the day and we think, oh, 11 points, not too shabby, We've, the focus is on us, what we did. We neglect the one billion points or the infinite points that Jesus already scored for us and gave to us to use in our own game. If you accept Jesus, you have access to those points 24-7. You don't have to fight for them. And going on, it says that we were chosen to be holy and blameless. Notice it doesn't say we were chosen to act holy and blameless. 
To be holy simply means to be set apart, to be set apart from sin or set apart from the world and more importantly, set apart for God's glory. We can't become holy on our own. We need Jesus to take our sin so that we can be made holy. Being holy means being different and distinct in a world full of sin. Becoming holy doesn't mean following a list of do's and don'ts. It means living your life in the spirit, letting the Holy Spirit dictate your life. Holiness is the true mark of a Christian. Paul says we were chosen to be holy and what? Blameless. He doesn't say sinless because that's impossible. To blame means to place fault, guilt, or to hold someone responsible. We all sin, but because of Jesus, God has chosen not to blame us. He decided to put the responsibility on you, not on you, but on Jesus instead. God held Jesus responsible for your sin. And that's why Jesus endured God's wrath on the cross. The reason we can go to heaven in the first place isn't because we're without sin. It's because we're without blame, without fault, without guilt. Isaiah 118 says, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Being holy and blameless is more about standing under the covering of the cross standing in Christ because we are made white as snow. Because of Jesus, he took, he, God looks at us through the bloodstains of Jesus and sees us as holy, as pure, as white as snow. And there's a similar verse to this Ephesians verse found in Colossians 1, 22 through 23 that expands on this thinking a little bit more. It says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. You are holy and blameless as long as you continue on in faith. But what is faith? I think it's one of those Christian words that gets thrown around a lot, but we don't actually like stop and really think about what it means to have faith. And faith is simply trusting that what Jesus did on the cross was enough. So when you are having a bad day, what is it that you need? What are you lacking? The answer is faith. If we don't believe that what Jesus did was enough, we have bad days. And because sometimes we feel like we need to make it better. If I'm having a bad day, what can I do to make this better? And it goes both ways. If I'm having a good day, what can I do to keep having this good day to make sure that I'm still the one in control? And the problem isn't our effort. The problem is our lack of faith. The Bible's filled with people that probably felt like they had some pretty bad days and that they were maybe counted as nothing but God saw them differently. We've been talking a lot about Jacob, remember Jacob's ladder, known as the deceiver. He had a lot of pretty bad, bad days. He probably thought he was counted as nothing. And yet, in the book of Hebrews, he is listed as a hero of the faith. It is his faith that counted at the end, not his efforts. 
So Jesus swaps our points for his on the cross. He took our blame on himself so that we would be blameless. He calls us holy because we belong to him. We have been set apart from the rest of the world. We are different and we are holy without any effort on our own. However, this does not mean that our behavior is irrelevant or that we can do whatever we want. Because through the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to live out our lives through Christ. We press on to be holy and blameless people of God that we have, he has chosen to bring him glory. So knowing that we've been called holy and blameless, how can, what can we do that honors God? What can we do to step into this calling of holiness? How can we live blameless and holy lives? And we can even go back a couple of weeks when Jason talked about forgiveness and Derek talked about joy. How can we experience those things? It doesn't start with us. It starts with the Holy Spirit. When we are focused on Jesus covering us with his blood, we experience freedom. Because our joy comes from the hope in Jesus. The freedom comes from forgiveness of sins. The freedom from sin and from bondage. And the moment you receive Jesus as Lord, you receive the best gift you'll ever receive, which is the Holy Spirit. Because all the characteristics of God are found in the Holy Spirit. When he takes up residence in you, you now have the same power, the same authority. All of the fruit of the Spirit is in you. When you receive the gift of the Spirit, it's like you get 10,000 more gifts, infinite more gifts that the Holy Spirit gives you to use and to unleash, to have the power. You have the power and the authority. You may have a talent, but God likes to turn those talents into spiritual gifts. And the difference between a talent is that it often benefits just you. But a spiritual gift is meant to bless others and you. My friend Asha Stokey down here, right there, uh, we both went to Peru, and it was a joy to watch her uh, use her talent or her gift, her spiritual gift in worship. She has a talent in singing and a spiritual gift in worship. When she worships, she has the ability to move others to a place in their own worship where they can encounter Jesus. So your gifts, your spiritual gifts are different from your talents. Your spiritual gifts move others toward Jesus and not toward yourself. Too many Christians are not using their spiritual gifts today. They're either lazy or maybe distracted by the busyness of life. A lot of people don't feel worthy to use their gift. And if you're like me, maybe you think you need to wait until a talent is perfected before it can become a gift that you are willing to share and willing to use. But I think one of the bigger culprits of Christians of us not using our spiritual gifts is a lack of desperation to see God's kingdom here on earth. Let's think about this for a moment. I'm going to pick on coaches for just a minute because I see some huge potential in our community right now. I had a coach growing up that was very influential in my life, and many of us can probably point back to a teacher or coach that maybe stuck out for one reason or another. And I'm not saying that those of you who are coaches aren't doing this. I'm just saying that I think we have this opportunity before us. So you as a coach, and fill in the blank, if you're a teacher, a, a grandpa, a boss, whatever, fill in the blank here. You as a coach spend a lot of time with kids. 
You practice hours a week, hours. You help perfect them in a sport or a craft. You read coaching books, you study plays, you watch game film, you immerse yourself in the culture of that sport for the ultimate goal of what? Scoring points. Do you care more about a student's split time or about their salvation? Do you care more about their podium achievement or them finding freedom in Jesus? And I don't say this to shame anyone, to, but to bring us back to what really matters in life. Are we more desperate for a win in a game or a win in the kingdom? Are we more desperate to be set apart as the best in the world or set apart as a holy vessel to bring Jesus to others and to bring God glory? Because the time you spend with our future generation matters. In the Gospel of Luke, he talks about a man named Simeon. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. I'm going to read just this little uh, bit of, of, on Simeon. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts where the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and will be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And we don't know how old he was, but Simeon had been waiting, it says, his whole life to see Jesus. So maybe it was a day, maybe it was like 100, I don't know. But when Jesus came, he was not about to miss this moment. The Spirit was on him, it says, and he was moved to go to the temple courts that day. But what would have happened if he had chosen not to go? He would have missed Jesus. Yet because he obeyed the Spirit's leading and calling, because he used the gift that the Spirit had given him, he gave a prophetic word to Mary which foretold of Jesus' crucifixion. Simeon spent his whole life seeking Jesus, and when Jesus showed up, he was able to recognize it and step into his gifting. Do not waste your lives pretending to be holy and keeping a score that does not even matter, that God does not even care about. Because if we live in a way that honors God, we, or if we live in a way that doesn't honor God, we're just wasting precious time. If we don't use our gifts from the Spirit, how will others know Jesus? When we get to heaven... We're going to stand before Jesus on the throne and we give an account for our lives. And I don't know about you, but I want so desperately to hear a well done. I don't live perfectly, but I want to live holy. I want the spirit upon me so that I'm changing the world for God's glory. I don't want to be perfect for my own glory. I want to be holy for God. I want my holiness to come from the Holy One in me. So may it, be, may it be evident to others in the spirit that it's not only in me, but that I'm using it, right, to further God's kingdom. So I'm going to invite you to stand. If there's anything keeping you from being um, set free this morning, 
If there's something in you, you feel a calling, a stirring to be holy, you can raise your hand if you want. You can just know, like, yes, that's me. I'm going to pray for you this morning. Because going to church, doing Bible studies, being in a small group, those are all great. But be honest with yourself. Is it enough? Is that enough for you? Are you walking in a way worthy of the one who has called you? It is not a call to yield to perfection. It is a call to yield to the Holy Spirit within you. So if you need freedom in a specific area of your life, maybe you're like me and it's perfection. We're going to pray. Jesus, we give ourselves to you as a holy sacrifice. We give our minds, our bodies, and the things that have kept us from you, we surrender it to you in Jesus' name. I pray that the lives of this congregation may be changed today. And congregation, I speak to you. Is there an area that you need forgiveness for? Just tell Jesus what it is. Give it to God and let it go. Is it perfection? Is it greed? Is it jealousy? What are the things that others may blame you for? Is it bondage? Is it immorality? Is it an addiction? Give it to Jesus. What are the things that you blame yourself for? Pride? Is it unbelief towards a a God who loves you? Is it an unbelief about the things that he calls you, but you're too stubborn to admit or to walk in? Is it rebellion? Give it up. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for giving me the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. That what you have given to me, you have given to all of us that accept Jesus. And I pray and I use that power now to bind and break the power of every spirit working against you and working against this congregation. Jesus, I pray and break every word and thought that has been put into their minds that tell them that they are not holy. That every lie of perfectionism, control, anger, greed, we bind those today, saying you, today we rebuke you and we render you powerless. God, you gave us discernment and wisdom to identify these attacks, and I pray that we are able to expose the root, to expose the lie of which they are. Help me, God, to be who I am in you. Help me even this day to live as one who has been chosen to be holy and blameless. May I offer myself to you as a living sacrifice in all that I do, in my thoughts, in my deeds, in my conversations, and in my feelings. God, we give them to you. May I walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have given me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's continue in worship.